Uh, good morning. If you're visiting with us, my name is Pastor Mike, and um, uh, if you uh, are visiting or not visiting, this is probably already throwing you off. So here's a little fun thing we can do, because you know everyone runs on Harvest Hill time that typically comes to Harvest Hill, and so some people are going to be showing up here in about six minutes, and they're going to walk in thinking they woke up really late, and so we'll just all churn and we'll say hi, and then we'll get back to what we're doing this morning. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. I know we all like change, and uh, we all adapt to change well, but um, we're in a series that we've kicked off this year called Invest, and uh, we're not talking about investing money or investing in the stock market or investing into our retirement. The purpose of the series is to learn and apply some spiritual disciplines into our life. In other words, we're going to invest in them. We're going to do this so we can go deeper into our relationship with God and into our understanding of who he is. And so last week, we spent time gaining motivation on why we were going to want to take the time to invest in our relationship with God. And so we were in the book of Romans. You can check out the church podcast. But the basic premise is God has invested so much in us and who we once were to who we are now that we are found in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we are looking at three areas of focus when it comes to investing and taking the time to do some things to deepen our relationship with God. The first one is to invest in reading the Bible. The second one is invest in studying the Bible. And the third one is invest in worshiping God. And what we're going to see as we do this together is that these all go, Ethan, you can go to the next slide there. These all work together. Um, we invest in reading, we invest in studying, and that impacts our investment in our worshiping of God. And so because we're already doing something different, I'm already starting the, the teaching, sermon, preaching segment, we're also going to do something different this morning in the learning process, is that we're going to learn together, particularly when we get to the focus of studying the Word of God. As a pastor, I have several responsibilities uh, that the Bible gives me, that God tells me this is what I'm supposed to do. One of those responsibilities is that I'm to love and to feed the sheep or to feed the church. And so that means that I've got to love you all that come to Harvest Hill. And one way I show you that I love you and I care about you is I feed you the word. And so that's not going to be for entertainment purposes. It's going to be to edify yourself, to grow in your relationship with God, to be transformed more like him. Another responsibility I have is to shepherd the church. And that's really what the word pastor comes from. And so for that, it means that I guide and lead the church. And here at Harvest Hill, we have other elders, Mike and Charlie, who help me in that process so we can bounce ideas off of one another and pray with one another. But we all do that. And I want you to be reassured of this. We all do that in guiding the church, guiding Harvest Hill through the Word of God. The other application or other thing and responsibility I have is that I'm told in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 that I pastor and shepherd the church in order to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12. And that command equip means that I am to support and to prepare you for the ministry and the work of the church. It means that I am to furnish you all, the people of God, with the ability to serve the kingdom of God. And so this brings us to our very first focus this morning, and that is reading the Bible. As God's people, we should be in God's Word so we can be a people of the Word. What we have here isn't access to just another book that we may have in our library at home or on our shelf. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we're told that all Scripture, 
all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is breathed out by God, which means that everything we have in the Holy Bible is from the very mouth of God. And so when we open the Scriptures just to read the Word of God, we are coming into His presence, able to hear our Heavenly Father speaking directly to us, simply by opening the Bible and reading it. And so when I hear people say, you know, I'm just not hearing from God, one of my first questions is, are you in God's Word? Because this is His eternal voice recorded for our benefit. Now, we are without excuse as we live in this country to not be reading the Bible as God's people. We all have access to the Word of God basically 24-7. Maybe not Richard, but most of us have access to the Word of God 24-7 in that we have these smart devices and tablets and phones and all that stuff. If you have a smartphone or a smart device or a tablet, I want to encourage you to find the YouVersion Bible app and put it on your phone or your tablet. It's so that you have the Word of God and access to it all the time. And we're not going to spend too much on this reading, but here's why we have to at least talk about it. In 2019, LifeWay conducted a poll and a survey, and what they found is only 32% of believers read their Bible every day. In that same poll, they found 12% of believers never read their Bible. Now, the Pew Research Center had similar findings. They found out that, and their poll suggests that 35% of believers read their Bible Every day. In that same poll, it suggests that 45% either seldom or never read their scripture. So here's the application to this point about investing read your Bible. And the reason I bring up that Bible app is because you can bring that up, and there are Bible reading plans that you can get into that'll remind you and send you notifications of where you should be reading or what you should be reading. And you can do this in many different ways. You can do the entire Bible in a year or even less than a year. Maybe you just want to take a book of the Bible and just spend time in that or a clump of scriptures like the gospel or the writings of Paul. And now here, when we come to reading the Bible, though, here's what I want us to understand. I'm not talking about reading devotionals. Devotionals are good. Uh, they're a good resource. They're a good tool to have. They're a good way to uh, maybe get some deeper under, or another understanding from another point of view. But devotionals are not the Word of God. So we have to be in God's Word, and that means we have to take time to read God's Word. And if you're not reading God's Word, here's where I want you to start setting up. Set up at least 10 minutes a day to read God's Word. Some of us, that's going to be simple. Some of us, that's going to be hard. But 10 minutes, at least 10 minutes a day to read God's Word. If you're a parent and you have to do pickup line, which I'm looking across, and not everyone here does that. But that's what I started doing. When I'm in pickup line, because I try to get there early because I don't want to be all the way in the back of the line. I want to get Abby and get out. And so I just bring up my reading plan, and I just start reading through the Bible while I'm sitting there in pickup line instead of streaming something on Netflix or some other media device and, or listening to the radio. I'm reading God's Word as I prepare to pick up my, my child. And this brings us to the second focus, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, and this is where I'm going to need you all to be ready to be engaged and to interact. Okay, We're going to sharpen one another in the faith this morning. Our second focus is to invest in studying the Bible. So we talk about reading, that's important, but reading and studying the Bible are two completely different things. When we read the Bible, we're allowing God to speak to our hearts so that we become familiar with the Word of God. But when we study the Bible, we are going to be diving deeper into the depths of what God is actually saying. 
And so God, we're going to spend the bulk of our time on this because this studying the scriptures, and I'm, when I say study the scriptures, I understand there are some people here who may not have been reading their Bible. And so now I'm going to ask you to study the Bible as well as read it. This is what is going to impact your worship. And this is what is going to impact this atmosphere of worship is that we are a people of God who are not just glancing through the Scripture or reading over the Scripture, but we're actually immersing ourselves in the Scripture. And I don't want you to think that we're going to talk about studying the Bible because, oh, well, the pastor just wants us all to all become pastors or all to become teachers. Though that may happen, as you get deeper in the Word of God, you understand that God is moving you to, uh, to disciple, and we'll talk about that next week. But we're talking about studying the Bible. So my job is to pastor, and I preach every single week. So every week I'm studying Scripture to preach the Scripture. But when I do that to preach the Scripture, I'm studying for your sake. I'm studying to love you, to feed you, and equip you. So that's my sermon prep. But when I study the Bible personally, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about my own personal edification and my own personal relationship with God. I'm allowing God to feed me and to pour into me because if I don't have God's word pouring into me, how can I pour God's word into you? And so studying for me has, has two, different, two different classifications. I study for sermon prep and for teaching on Wednesdays, and then I study for my own personal need and my own personal relationship. Now, when it comes to studying, just like reading, this is going to take time. So if you haven't started reading, okay, i got 10 minutes I need to read. You go find a plan on that Bible app. When it comes to studying Scripture, I want you to take even more time. I want you to set aside at least 30 minutes, basically a sitcom, okay? Start with 30 minutes. And some of you are thinking, 30 minutes? Man, my, my schedule is pretty tight. 30 minutes. That means you're going to have to take time away from something else. You're going to say, this is definitely more important than whatever I used to do in this time. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to study Scripture. I'm going to get into the depths of what God is saying. Now, if we're going to be in the Word of God by reading it, one thing I want to tell you not to do, if you're, if you're reading the Bible through in a year, I, I don't want you to study what you're reading when you're reading the Bible through in a year. Because usually if you're reading the Bible through in a year, you've got about three to six chapters you're reading a day. And that's a massive amount of text to spend in study. And so if you're not studying Scripture yet, start this week. Start just, okay, three times a week I'm going to study Scripture. Three times this week I'm going to set aside 30 minutes a day. And here's what I promise you, because it's what happens in my life, is that you'll start with three times a week, but you're going to start tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, and three times a week is not going to be enough. 30 minutes is not going to be enough. And you're just going to be in God's Word and reading God's Word, and you're going to have to start watch, stop watching some of those hour-long TV shows because you're so engrossed into the Word of God. So to study, you have to start with a passage. And this may be to pick a book of the Bible. So, so today, for example, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. So we're going to pick a book of the Bible, and we're going to study through that book. Or maybe you're going to pick an individual of the Bible. So maybe we want to study the life of David. And so we're going to study passages about David from when he was a shepherd to when he slayed Goliath to when he was on the run to when he became a king to when he passed away and, and the kingdom passed to Solomon. Maybe we're going to spend time just studying the parables of Jesus. And that will take you quite a bit of time if you go through all the parables of Jesus or maybe just a clump of scripture. I say, okay, I'm going to study the Sermon on the Mount, because I'm just starting out with this, and so Sermon on the Mount is three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, and I'm going to study these, these passages of Scripture, sometimes just this verse. So for today, here's what happened, and you can laugh at this if you want. 
So at the beginning of the week, I put a post out on the Harvest Hill Facebook page, and this is what I was asking. I wanted people to put on that post their favorite verse or their favorite passage of Scripture, and I said that this is going to help me to prepare for Sunday because whichever verse gets the most mentions or whatever passage or whatever story or whichever one gets the most likes, that's what we're going to look at together as a church as we study the Word of God. And I put that post out, and I got nine responses. That's weird. <laughs> nine responses, and here's the eight of them were original. One, one response of the eight actually was the only one that got a like, and she's not in here right now because she's in the children's church. So Stephanie Goings won with the only verse that got a like in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. But to stay in the context, which we'll talk about that in a second, we're going to look in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. Um, but I did think it was weird that we'll like pictures and stories and all the stuff, but for some reason we're really timid about not liking other people's verses of Scripture. Maybe that's something we need to pray about. I don't know. But Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, right before Judges. And we're going to study the Bible by going through this passage. And what I'm going to do as we do this is I'm going to put out some resources for you to use. And here's why we're doing this. I've spent basically my entire life in the church, minus about a year and a half, we'll say, because there's about a year and a half of my life where I was a prodigal Mike. And so about, about, I'm 42, so about, we'll say it was 40 years. 40 years in the church. In 40 years in the church, sitting under my dad as my pastor, sitting under other pastors when I was at Southwest Baptist University, uh, sitting under pastors when I was in the youth ministry, I never once heard a sermon or a message equipping God's people on how to study the Word of God. The only, and we've done this here before, but the only time that I was ever taught how to study the Word of God is when I was paying SBU for Bible classes. And there's something wrong with that. We shouldn't have to pay someone to teach us, how do I get into the depths of what God is trying to tell me for all, all eternity? We shouldn't have classes on hermeneutics or exegesis. We should be able, as God's people, say, okay, this is a pastor that is going to equip me so I can deepen my relationship with God. So the first resource you need, anybody guess what it would be? A Bible. All right, we're all together on this. That's the first resource you need in order to study the Bible. you got to start with the Bible. And now I would recommend making sure that you have a good translation of the Bible, or I don't like that word translation, rather a good version of the Bible. So not all versions of the Bible are created equal because not all versions are accurately taken from the original language. I personally read through the English Standard Version. I'm not saying that you have to start reading from the ESV, but you need to make sure that you have an accurate translation of Scripture. And the reason there are so many versions, if you ever wondered why there's so many versions of Scripture, is because the Bible, believe it or not, was not written in English originally. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And so they're translating from those languages into our language so that we can understand it. And just like you translate any language to another language, different words can be used to interpret what that word is. And sometimes sentence structures have to be readjusted. Otherwise, it doesn't read properly, for example, in the English language. So the first resource is a Bible. The second resource is to make sure that your Bible is an accurate translation of Scripture. Again, you don't have to have mine. Here are some I recommend. I do recommend the ESV. That's why I use it. You also could look into the New American Standard Bible. 
That's another good translation. I know many here read from the King James, which is a great translation. Just heads up, if you're not familiar with Shakespearean or Old English, it may throw you off a little bit. But then there's the New King James, which has a little bit easier reading and the same interpretation from the King James. There's the New Living Translation, which I know some people read from. Here's the thing about New Living Translation, if that's the one you read from. The New Living Translation was specifically designed for the American culture. Because the average American does not have a reading level or a literacy level above the eighth grade. And so the New Living Translation was written and adapted for American culture who can't read beyond an eighth grade reading level as a majority. There's also the Christian Standard Bible. I know some people have that as well. And then finally, the New International Version. When it comes to New International Version, just a little heads up. Make sure yours is an older copyrighted edition. Anything after 2001, I would discard because they did some, some playing with some of the Greek that it wasn't meant to be implied. And if you have questions about that, we can talk about it later. I used to read from the NIV. I just got tired of the questions about what I read from, and then I'd have to say, well, make sure you did a copyrighted at least 19 before 2001. So anyway, those are some good versions. If you're here this morning, you're like, well, I don't know what version I have. Um, first off, I know a lot of y'all use the Bible app. I know a lot of you use your phones. Lisa. That's what I'm assuming you're doing when we're doing through a message is that you're on the Bible app. If you're not sure what version you have, on the binding or what's called the spine is where you can find it. So mine has ESV and then down below it says English Standard Version. If you're here this morning and you have like a MacArthur Study Bible or a Spurgeon Study Bible, that's not the version. Those are just notes from those particular individuals, and most of those Bibles are taken from the versions that we've already mentioned. Um, I'd also recommend, as a resource, for every household to have at least one study Bible that everyone can get a hold of. Not a study Bible for everyone in your household. Some of you will have a lot more kids than the Hurchins. Just a study Bible that everyone can have access to. Um, and we'll talk about that why here in a second. Um, so, now that we have our Bibles figured out, we know what passage we're going to look at. There are steps to studying Scripture. Again, I've preached on this before, but we have many new faces since the last time I preached on this. So here are the steps. Read the text. We're going to do that here in a second. In studying Scripture, since we're not just reading the text, reread the text. And most of us, when we read the text for the first time, we just kind of read it quietly to ourselves, or maybe you're one of those lip readers that reads it quietly and your mouth moves as you go through the words. And so read the text, reread the text. You want to become familiar with whatever you're going to get ready to study. You just don't want that initial glance and like, all right, I'm going to dive right in. So I'm going to read it again. Maybe something else will jump out to me that didn't in the last time. Read the text out loud. And so this means actually what we do every single Sunday when we come to a passage of Scripture. I'll read it out loud. But when you're personally studying the Bible, there's something about in your brain multiple things have to be working when you're reading the text silently compared to when you read the text out loud. Your brain is hearing it. Your brain is operating in a few different neurons going on. And so more of you is getting engaged within the text. The fourth thing is to begin asking questions. And we'll talk about this in a second. We're going to do some guiding questions as we go through Joshua 1, verse 9. These are questions like, who is involved? What is happening? Where is this taking place? Who is this written to? How are people responding? Does anything immediately jump out? A really good question, are there key words? Okay? So when you're reading, especially through the letters of Paul, he frequently in paragraphs or clumps in a chapter, will bring up a word over and over again, like justification or justified or he justifies. And so 
find key words that are jumping out and things that are being used. This doesn't mean like A's and A's and does and things like that. At this point, what we're trying to do when we're asking questions, we're trying to figure out the text. We're trying to get into the text. What we're doing in asking questions when we're studying, this is why it's going to take time, is we want the pages of Scripture, the words of God, to come off of the pages and invade our hearts and minds. Basically, we want Scripture to do what Scripture does and that it becomes living and active. And so it's not just words on a page, but we begin seeing, like, remember those old 3D pictures that you had to stare at until your eyes started watering and finally the picture would come out? That's what we want with Scripture when we're asking these questions. We're wanting it to begin to come alive into our life. Jesus tells us that we are to ask and to seek. And you know what happens when we ask and we seek? We find truth. And so that's why we're asking questions. That's the point. Now, once we've done a a primary examination or preliminary examination of text with questions, there's a temptation for many, though not all, is to jump into application. Now, application is a point, but as you can see, it's the very last point. When we're asking questions, we're trying to engage and invade the text. And so we're not looking to the, jumping to the place where what is God saying to me or how does this, re, uh, how does this impact my life. Application is a key to studying Scripture, but it's our last step. Okay? Right now, we're trying to see what does God actually say, which means we're building context, okay? So we're asking questions, we're gathering context, we're engaging with the passage or the text or the verse or the story, and we're gaining context. Why is context important? Because without context, we cannot actually understand what the passage, more importantly, what God is actually saying. And so a lot of believers and some pastors that have a wide audience do this a lot where they take passages out of context in order to apply a meaning to the passage that never was intended. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to fall into that trap. We want to know what is God actually saying and what does he actually mean in this passage. For example, taking a passage out of context. If we went to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches on lusting. And when Jesus teaches on lusting, he says that you should gouge out your eyes and cut off your, your hands or your arms, depending on what version you're reading from. Now, original reading of that text is Jesus' is teaching on self-mutilation, right? But that's not what he's teaching at all if we understand the context of his society. What he's talking about is the extremes that we must go to to avoid lustful thoughts. Not even lustful acts, just lustful thoughts. But once we spent time in the text and we beginning to gain context, here's another great resource. Look at other versions. Look at other versions of Scripture, not the one that you always read from, but look at other versions of Scripture. And here's what I'm not telling you. You need to go out to the Christian bookstore. You can't do it today anyway. But you need to go out and you need to buy a whole different, different, bunch of different versions of the Bible. And so this is going to be a resource. If you have the Bible app, you can look at different versions there. Another free resource I want to show you, Ethan, throw that up there. This is uh, BibleGateway.com. It's a screenshot. So I got our passage we're going to look at here in a second. And so this is obviously you need a computer. If you're going to study the Word of God with a computer, you have to be very disciplined. Okay, same thing if you use your phone. Okay, because texts will pass up, news announcements will pass up, pop up, uh, calendar events will pop up. So you have to be very disciplined. Okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm not responding to somebody's text, and I'm not seeing what President Biden's saying right now, okay? So if you're going to use your computer, you have to be very disciplined. 
But up here on the right, you can see the English Standard Version, initials ESV. That's where you can change the version to, I think there's like 60-plus versions you have free access to. You can change, and it will automatically change whatever passage or verse you're looking at to that version. Or you can come down here where it says ESV again, and you can change it there, and it will automatically change. If you go up there, you've got to hit the search button, and it will switch. But that's an incredible resource because that means I don't have to go spend hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars buying new Bibles. I can just go into the World Wide Web. I can use something that God created for my benefit to grow in a deeper relationship with Him. Why are we gathering passages of Scripture or different versions of Scripture? Um, so, for example, when we look in Joshua chapter 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And so we might be reading this, we might have read through it, we might begin asking questions, and since this is the first verse, one, verse may, one question may come to mind, well, what in the world does it mean for Joshua, the son of Nun, to be Moses' assistant? And so, does anybody here know Hebrew? That's what I thought. Okay, so no. I'll take that as a no. Okay, so we don't know Hebrew. And so what we do when we use other versions of Scripture, we can go to those versions and see how did they translate that Hebrew word that we read as assistant from the ESV, how did they translate it? And so, for example, the Amplified Bible translates the word assistant as servant and attendant. The New International Version translates the word as aid. So then this automatically helps us understand what Joshua's role was with Moses in that he served him, he attended his needs, and he aided him in the leadership of God's people. We can read through other versions, and we're trying to understand, okay, when we do this, we're, we're looking at different words that are used throughout our, ver our version compared to other ones. And so we can do this again in verse 2. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them and to the people of Israel. So God comes to Joshua, and he says, arise. Now, immediately when I'm thinking of arising is Joshua must have been laying down. He must have been asleep, right? So God's waking him up and saying, arise, wake up. But if I go to another version of Scripture, for example, the Christian Standard Bible translates that Hebrew word arise as prepare. And the New International Version translates the word arise as get ready. So God isn't coming to Joshua and saying, get up. He's not saying, wake up. He's saying, you need to prepare yourself and you need to get ready for what is about to happen. And what is about to take place? So that's the benefit of using different versions of Scripture, is it allows us to, okay, here's a different word. What does that actually mean without having to take a class or year of Hebrew or Greek uh, to, to translate Scripture? Now, once we spend time digging deeper, go back to that, go to that next slide, Ethan. So we've looked at other versions. We've asked questions. We've been gaining context of the passage is to look at outside resources. And when I mean outside resource, I'm talking about commentaries, Bible encyclopedias, Bible dictionaries, and concordances. And before that freaks you out, here's the thing. If you have a study Bible, access to a study Bible, and most Bibles have this, in the very back of your study Bible is a concordance. What a concordance is, let's say we wanted to look up that word servant from our passage of Scripture, 
And so we find servant, and it's kind of put out like a dictionary, so you just got to know how letters go in the dictionary. We find servant, and we see, and, and mine's not exhaustive by any means, we see that the word servant is used numerous times. There's also servants. And so I can go and look at other passages of Scripture simply by using a concordance on how that word servant is used in other Scriptures, which is what? It's going to give me a deeper meaning of the word servant. Now, there's also other tools, and when you come to uh, commentaries and dictionaries and encyclopedias, again, not telling you to go out and buy one. Ethan, throw up that next screen. This is BibleStudyTools.com. Okay, this is a free resource, and so there's different tabs. Here's the Bible, so you can look at, you can change your version of the Bible while you're on this website. You can bring up a parallel Bible. What that means is like, so I would have uh, my Bible, and on this side of the page would be ESV, and maybe on this side of the page would be King James, and I can compare and contrast without having to look up different versions of Scripture and, and flipping back and forth. There's also a study tool. Go to the next one, Ethan. And so here you have free, a free Bible library, Free Bible commentaries, concordances, dictionaries, encyclopedias, stories. You have books from the Apocrypha, which, by the way, are not canon scripture. I'm just letting you know that. And lexicons. Go to the next one. Tools. So here you have articles, devotionals, inspiration, videos. Some of these videos are teachings on passages of scripture. Uh, you can do Bible trivia, which Derek knows I love. Right, Derek? Amen. All right. Um, you have things written by pastors and blogs and sermons and Sunday school lessons. This is all free resources that we have through the World Wide Web. And so we can go and we can use the World Wide Web, which I know some people are like, oh, you're always on the Internet. But we can use it for our mutual upbuilding in the faith, to strengthen our faith. And so this is why it's going to take time. When it comes to commentaries, dictionaries, and encyclopedias on the Bible, here's one word of caution. We must keep in mind these are not as authority or as authoritative as the Word of God. This is the utmost authority. Commentaries, encyclopedias, dictionaries are written by people. And sometimes when written by people, they give their own perspective and their own interpretation. That's not what we want. So as we go through commentaries, we have to begin to be able to filter out, okay, is this actually in line with the Word of God. So how do we know? How do we know when a commentary may be just a perspective of an individual? Always allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. So if someone says something and that doesn't match the Word of God, wipe it out. Always allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And this brings us to our final stage of application. At this point, we are at the point we've spent time in the text. We have allowed the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. We have uh, not tried to rush through it, but to gain understanding. So at this point, we're coming to these questions. We're asking, what is God saying to me? I'm not doing personal Bible study to say, oh, man, Mike Marler needs to hear this. Matter of fact, you don't come to Sundays to hear sermons and say, oh, man, someone, so-and-so should have been here today. God brought you here. And so I'm asking the question, what is God saying to me? What are some actions maybe God wants me to change? Or what are some things that God wants me to do? And sometimes this step is overlooked because, as you can tell, this is going to take time. That's why I say you have to at least start with 30 minutes. And don't overwhelm yourself this week. Start with three days this week, okay? That's not even 50% of your week. Three days this week, 30 minutes, where I'm going to take the time to actually study the Word of God. 
And the reason we must come to a place of application of what is God saying to me is because Jesus says that we are not to be hearers of the word, but doers. And so when I'm asking what does this mean to me, I'm asking what is the action, what is the attitude, the habit, the conduct, maybe the outlook God is teaching me that I need to apply to my life. And here's what happens when we take time to study the Word of God. It will impact our worship. It will impact this room of worship. When God's people are so immersed into His presence, so immersed into His Word, we don't come to church hungry for a preacher to continue to give us the Word of God because we've been getting the Word of God. Now we're coming in church to worship the God who's been speaking to us all week. And what is he going to challenge us again today as a church body? All right. So let's do this, okay? Let's put, let's put studying Scripture into application this morning. So go back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with you, so I will, so just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For our, uh, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So if we're studying Scripture, which we don't have time to do this morning, we, we would read it. Then what would we do? Reread it, and then maybe we would do what? Read it out loud, okay? But we don't, have, we don't have time to do that all this morning. So we're just going to pretend. We all like to pretend. We've already read this numerous times, okay? And maybe we've heard of it numerous times. One thing about rereading the text over and over again is if you come to a familiar passage of Scripture, it, sometimes it allows things to jump off the page. That you're like, when did that get there? I never saw that before. And so it allows us to become just really more familiar with it. Okay. So we've read it, pretend reread it, read it out loud. Come to questions. So the initial question we can ask as we're studying the scriptures, what is going on? So what is going on? Okay, Moses died. God is talking to Joshua about getting ready. Okay, that's a very easy synopsis, okay? Another question we could ask when it comes to this is who are the figures or who is involved in this passage? 
Now, you can't always do this with scriptures. For example, if you're reading the book of Psalms, that's not really a relative question, right? I mean, there's some Psalms that are because there'll be like a little uh, captioning about this happened when David was on the run from Saul, something like that. So you can look into that. But for a narrative or historical book, or even some books or some of the Gospels, we can ask this question. Who are the key figures and who is involved? So who are the key figures and who is involved in this passage? Okay, God, yeah, let's, let's say him first, okay? Got that one down. Joshua, Moses, and the Israelites. And it refers to them as Israel or this people. Okay, so as we're dealing with this, since we, don't have, we wouldn't have to do this, like if we're going to study Joshua as a whole, we wouldn't have to do this every single time, though maybe new figures or individuals come up in Scripture. But since we're starting this book, then we're going to ask questions like, okay, so what do I know about Moses? What do we know about Moses? He led Israel out of Egypt. uh, Pharaoh, yeah, yeah. He wasn't confident about speaking. He said he had a stutter, yeah. Speech impediment, that's what he had. Burning bush, holy ground, Red Sea. So after they got out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they immediately got to this point in Joshua? So what did Moses have to do from crossing Red Sea to this point in Joshua besides die? <laughs> he had to wander for 40 years. Was that easy for Moses? No. There's times he complained. There's times he complained directly to God. There's times he complained directly to the people he was leading. Okay, what do we know about Joshua? Obviously, the book is named after him, right? He was what? Okay. Okay. He was one of the spies in the Canaan. Now, if you're hearing like, well, how would I know that if I'm just reading Joshua? Well, if we're reading the Bible on our own and studying the Bible, then as the more we read the Bible, the more familiar we get with the passage of Scripture and some of the individuals. And so reading actually helps our studying. It impacts that. So Joshua was one of the 12 spies that went into Israel, and Joshua wanted to go or didn't want to go. Yeah, he and Caleb said, we can take them. <laughs> That's kind of guys you want on your team. We can take it. We can do it. What else do we know about Joshua? Okay, we can take that straight from our verse here. He was Moses' assistant. And we already spent time because we looked at our version. We know, okay, that means aid. That means servant. Uh, that means uh, assistant. Uh, obviously, he, he helped Moses out. Okay, what do we know about it's referred to as Israel and this people? Okay, they were God's chosen, according to what? According to God, yes. Thank you, John. (laughs) According to Scripture, more specifically, according to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, okay, that God would be the God of Abraham's uh, descendants, right? And they would be his people. Okay, so they're under the Abrahamic covenant. And what do we know about the Lord? What, so when you're reading through Scripture, most versions will have Lord God, or they'll have what we have in verse 1 where it's Lord, and it's all caps. You may know what that means when it says all caps says Lord. Yeah, it's, the, it's referring to the covenantal name of Yahweh, that, you know, I am, I am, Right? 
And so it's referring to that covenantal relationship that Moses was part of that, that God is faithful. It speaks of God's faithfulness to his promises, God's faithfulness to his people, uh, God's faithfulness even to a changing of leadership. Okay, so we kind of got a basis about who's involved through this. And, and again, we don't have to ask this every single time if we were reading through Joshua. We wouldn't have to go into chapter or verse 10 and say, and Joshua, okay, who's Joshua again? Okay, because hopefully we start retaining stuff, right? So we wanted to next one. Okay, where and when did this take place? So where was this taking place? Okay, they were still in the wilderness, right? That's why God says you got to arise, you got to prepare, you got to get ready because I'm going to take you into the land of promise. When did it take place? Verse one. Okay, someone else has to start answering questions. <laughs> okay. And what catastrophic event just happened? Moses died. Okay, so they've come 40 years. They've wandered. Their shoes were good still. That's miraculous provision by God. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the land of promise, a promise, a land that God promised Abraham. Hence, he's the covenantal Lord. All right, and they're going to go in under new leadership of Joshua because Moses, the guy who's been leading Israel for the past 40 plus years, has passed away. Okay, so are there any key words or phrases within these nine verses? And we're looking for repetitive words or phrases. Be strong, be courageous, or any others. Okay, there's that. that's given twice. Verse 5, I will be with you. Verse 9, God is with you wherever you go. Just as I was with Moses, I, was with you, I will be with you. So there's an emphasis on that. And so when we see these words, these key phrases, these key words, a question we should ask is, why is this being said so much? Why does God have to tell Joshua over and over again, hey, be strong and courageous, or be strong and very courageous? Okay, this isn't going to be easy. Why does he have to remind Joshua, I'm going to be with you? He probably was having doubts. This is a human being. We, sometimes we forget that when we're reading Scripture. These are human beings. They have sinful nature just like us. They deal with their doubts and their worries just like us. And so God is coming to him, and he's giving him comfort. He's giving him promises and ultimately, what is being said or commanded or taught in this passage? Okay, you're not in it alone. There's a promise. Are there any commands? Be strong, be courageous, be faithful. Don't be frightened, don't be dismayed. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses gave to you. Do not turn from right or left. You know, verses 7 through 9, we could probably spend just on that. And sometimes when we're studying Scripture, here's what happens, is we may be reading through a passage or a clump, but then there's like two or three verses. We're like, I need to, I need to sit there for a while. I, mean, I, I need to come back to that. I don't need to run on to the next verse. I need to come back to this maybe tomorrow or the next day. And I need to sit on this for a little bit. So we don't, what's that? 
There, yeah, there are promise of benefits. Okay, so we don't have commentaries laid out for us. We don't have, I'm not going to have Ethan throw up and try to work through those, those uh, websites. Some of us have study Bibles. Some of us have our little Bible app. We've read the passage. We've begun asking questions. Now, if you have a study Bible, anybody have a study Bible with them here today? We've got a few. Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with the study Bible, here's, here's what I, I want to help you with, is that there are several notations within a study Bible. Okay, so down here, this is like the study notes. This is considered like your, your commentary. Now, this is going to be brief commentary. This isn't going to be incredibly in-depth, but it's going to be enough for us to be able to gain some deeper understanding of what the verse is saying. Again, with caution, this is also written by man. This is not the authoritative word of God. Okay, so we're going to use this as a resource. Okay, there are also notations in study Bibles. Sometimes there's notations above the study notes. So, for example, in verse 7, in, in what I'm reading from the ESV, the word of the Lord says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And so I read through that verse, and in, in the word success, in my passage, there's a number one immediately after that word. And so what that does is it takes me to a notation that is actually above the study notes, and it says that that word can also be read as may act wisely. And the reason that is important because the same Hebrew word is used at the end of verse 8. You may have good success. And so he's not speaking. Well, we, we can already learn something. When God talks about success here to Joshua, success isn't prosperity or promotions to God. Success defined by God is conduct. So he's saying, if you don't depart from my word, not from right or left, then your conduct will be pleasing to me. And he says it again at the end of verse 8, that you will make your way prosperous if you do according to all that is written, and if then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you will have good conduct. You have good character, godly character. And so that's how God measures success. Another notation, for example, the word servant in verse 1, and the study Bible for me has a small letter A right before the word servant. And so that takes me into the, the sub or the side panel here. And it's always in the inner part usually in the study Bible. And so I see that little letter and I can go over there and say verse 1. And there's other verses. For example, there's, uh, I can look in verse 13 or verse 15 of this particular chapter. I can go to Exodus 14.31, Numbers 12.7, Deuteronomy 34.5. Well, okay, so I have 30 minutes. Deuteronomy 34.5 is the closest. So let's go there real quick, okay, to help us understand this word servant. Deuteronomy 34. It's the chapter right before Joshua 1. <laughs> so we go to Deuteronomy 34, and we see the subtitle above the chapter is the death of Moses. That is not scripture, by the way. That is someone that inserted that caption so we can kind of get a basis idea of what is going on. Okay, but we're looking at verse 5. For our sake, we're going to read verse 5 to the end of the chapter, which is through verse 12. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. Well, we already knew that from Joshua, right? Okay, so this is connecting. But he's called the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. 
Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of the people weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Verse 9. And Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hand on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, speaking of Joshua now, and did as the Lord commanded Moses, had commanded Moses. And there was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses... Whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So this gives us, now going back to Joshua chapter 1, a little more context that after the death of Moses is not just some nonchalant time reference. This lets us know that Joshua and Israel have been mourning the loss of Moses for 30 days. It lets us know Moses as a servant knew God like no other person on the planet knew God. He knew him face to face. And there was not a prophet like him that has written ever since. So Joshua now, in our passage, we talk about Joshua is now taking on the lead of Moses, right? He's stepping into some very big shoes, which now, when we put the context together, makes perfect sense why God has to tell Joshua over and over again, hey, be strong, be courageous. My servant Moses is dead, but guess what? You're the leader now. So do not be frightened, verse 9. Do not be dismayed. Now, since we know God doesn't say something simply to say something, what, is, what could this help us in understanding Joshua's mental or emotional state? Have you ever lost someone you were very close to? Maybe a pillar in the family? Maybe someone close to you at work? A family member? Those are difficult times, aren't they? Joshua has just spent the last 40 years as Moses' servant. He was with him, except to the places that God wouldn't let Joshua go. And now he's dead. Imagine he's in this place of mourning and place of wondering, why would you bring us this far and then now Moses can't go with us? So we can get into this human element so in verse 9, the Lord says, Be strong and courageous as the third time. And then he says, Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now I'm reading from the ESV. Does anybody have a different word for frightened? He says, Do not be frightened. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Other ones say, Do not be terrified. Do not be dismayed. What about that word? Do not be dismayed. I don't say that word very often to people. Hey, don't be so dismayed. Okay, discouraged. Another version of Scripture, we're not even looking at commentaries. We're not even trying to get into the Greek. Another version says, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated about what you are being called to do in this moment. And so we're going to, for the sake of time... We could just spend time on that and say, okay, why would God have to tell Joshua these things? What is going on in Joshua's life? What are the promises that God is giving Joshua? Well, verse 2 and 6, God is promising Joshua he's going to be faithful. Verses 3, God is promising that he is giving the land. It's like a gift. 
Like John 3.16, for God so loved, he gave. It's, he's gifting the land. That victory is imminent. His presence, verses 5 and 9, God promises his presence to Joshua. God is telling Joshua things to do. Be strong and courageous. He says, do, obey, keep, and observe the word of God, verse 7. He tells him to study the word of God, verse 8. He tells him to meditate, ponder, think on the word of God, verse 8. He tells him to do the word again in verse 8. That's two times for that command. Must be important, Right? Then he says, don't be scared and don't be discouraged. And if we did more context, we say, okay, well, this is a complete change for the life of Israel. Because up to this point, Moses went into his own little happy camp, his happy tent. He met with God face to face, and he would come out, and his, his face would be beaming. And remember, he had to veil up his face because the people were so scared. Well, he would go hear from God face to face. Now, God is saying, look. My presence is still going to be with you, but now you've got to go to my word, which for us is Genesis through Deuteronomy. First five books, the law of God. And so Joshua's going to have to rely on those things. And so we could spend, again, time in verses 7 through 8. But God is telling, here's a summary. God is telling Joshua, if you study my word, if you do my word, if you observe my word, if you meditate on my word, the word meditate means to ponder, to think, to just sit on it. If you obey my word, then, Joshua, then you'll find prosperity that I've promised you, and then you'll find success, or your conduct will be pleasing to me. And so this leads us to a question we come, okay, are these promises that God gives Joshua, are these applicable to us? Do they apply to us today, or is this like a promise just to Joshua? We go to Matthew chapter, uh, we go to Jesus' teaching. He says, not only be here's the word, but to do the word. And if we do that, we'll be like a wise man who built a house upon the rocks. When the storms of life come, we will not be destroyed. Well, that sounds like success and prospering, but not just hearing, but doing the word of God. We go to Proverbs chapter 2, where King Solomon is writing to his son and giving him the benefits, the exact same benefits that God is telling Joshua here in Joshua chapter 1. We could turn to Paul's letters and we could see how he condemned believers for not growing in the faith and not knowing the word of God because they were still having to be treated as if they were nursing babies. We could turn to Paul's writings to Timothy and see how Paul tells Timothy to remain in the Word of God so he can understand and deal with the wickedness in and outside the church. And Timothy wasn't dealing with armies and kingdoms that Joshua was going to have to do, but he was having to deal with people who are opposed to God, just as Joshua is going to have to do. We could look at Timothy's life and we could see that, okay, this, or not Timothy, Joshua's life, and what God says to Joshua, this is a command that we can apply to us today. We might not be leading a multitude of people to face armies and kingdoms with pitchforks and shovels, but we are definitely in a spiritual battle every single day. And so the commands and instructions given in verse 7 through 9 to Joshua are commands God gives to us as well. Now we come to application. <clears throat> oh, wrong side. Application, we're asking, okay, what is God telling me? Maybe it's a question, am I living this? Am I doing this? Now I want to give us just a, some quick applications that we could see. Okay. So verse 1, now that we understand the context of what's going on, we know the situation the people have got in and Joshua's in. And God comes to Joshua says, look, my, Moses, my servant Moses is dead. I read that, and I'm like, if I'm Joshua, I'm like, yeah, duh. <laughs> I know that. But now that we read 34, Deuteronomy 34, how long have the Israelites and Joshua been mourning Moses? 30 days. 30 days of mourning their leader who's just passed. 
And so that lets me know that this is a difficult time for people. And he comes to Joshua and says, look, I understand your situation. I understand why you're in your situation. I understand what happened to Moses. But then he tells Joshua, my promise still remains, and you must press on into my promise. God isn't telling him to forget what has happened in verse 1. He's just telling Joshua and Israel, you cannot dwell here. You can't live here. And this may be the application when we go through a loss of a loved one or turmoil within our family. It happened. In Scripture, we are given a time where there is to be mourning. But here we can take the application that we can't live there. We can't live in our regrets. We can't live in the pains of life. That doesn't mean we have to forget them. That doesn't mean they're not going to come back up in our mind and invade our heart at times. But we can't live there because we can't live in pain and regrets and live in joy at the same time. And so we must continue to press on. There's been too many people I've, in my own life that live in regrets and pain. What they do is they dig themselves deeper and deeper into self-pity, which gives birth to bitterness, which eventually gives birth to anger. Take an application from verse 4. Verse 4, I mean, you're like, what? what? What's going on? Wilderness, Lebanon, Great River, Euphrates, Hittites, Great Sea, Sun. What? Well, God is very specific in that there is a set amount of land or set amount of space where his people is going to live. The, the Gev, or the desert, the wilderness is desert, is speaking of the Negev in the south. Lebanon is speaking of the mountain ranges in the north. Euphrates is speaking of the great Euphrates River, which was in the east. And the great sea is speaking of the Mediterranean Sea, which is in the west. Hence, verse 4 says, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. In what direction does the sun set in? West, right. <laughs> so God is saying, look, we have to use commentaries to figure that out. God is saying, look. This is where I'm going to plant you to thrive. Not beyond these borders, but right in this section. And so we might come to application, am I living where God wants me to be living? Am I living my life the way God wants me to be lived, where he has planted me so I can thrive? Verse 9, God reminds Joshua that he is with him. We know that this isn't just for Joshua. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 28. I shall I will be with you all to the very ends of the age. So we could just come to the question, why does Joshua need to know three times here in the beginning that God is with him? Well, maybe it's reassurance. As Joshua is dealing with mourning and time to move on, he needs to be reassured. Maybe it's conviction that he needs to know. He needs to stay in the word of God because God will know when he moves to the right or left of the word of God. And we can back that up in our own life when we look in Psalm 139. There's no place we can go from the presence of God. Nothing is hidden from him. So maybe it's a conviction. Okay, I'm not really hiding that. Maybe it's the confidence we need that no matter what we're going through in life, that God is with us. Romans 8.38, if God is for us, which means with us, who can be against us? Now, studying the Word of God isn't so we can gain more head knowledge. It's to transform us. Romans 12, 2, transform the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this enables us to allow us to present our bodies to God, Romans 12, 1, which means to present our lives, to lay it at his feet, to submit to what he speaks over us. And Romans 12, 1 says this is our spiritual worship. So we read the word of God to become familiar with it. We study the word of God, get into the depths of it, because then we begin investing in worship. And I think we are confused or maybe you've been mistrained. Worship 
isn't just meant to happen here on Sunday morning when the worship band gets up here. If we are diving into the depths of God, then worship is happening throughout our week, and when we come here, we all bring a heart of worship. So after walking through God's Word, I hope your spirit is uplifted. I know sometimes it can be overwhelming. But I'm like, wow, there's so much just in those verses that maybe I didn't see or maybe have now come to life. And I hope that has moved us into a heart and mind of worship because that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I want to pray over us real quick, and we're going to worship the God who is with us, the God whose presence we are in. We are in the midst. Jesus is in our midst, according to the book of Revelation. And so we're going to worship him for that. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness. And we come before you, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth, that now that we have allowed your word to become living and active and we've seen it come alive, that it's not just words on a page, but it has meaning to us in this day and in this year. Father, we ask that our hearts would respond to you in worship for you alone are worthy of it. We lay this as an aroma to you, and we hope it is pleasing. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.